We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Book one. When she was just a child, the witch locked her away in a tower that had neither doors nor stairs. Welcome to episode 61 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, Amaris Meyer Book Club Podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Patreon supporters. Thank you. I'm your host, Bethany, and today's special guest is Morgan. Hi, everybody. Hi. And you may have just heard some beautiful introduction music. Yes. I've got new introduction music. Isn't it freaking gorgeous? I still... I listened to the episode that you put it on the other day, and I, like, wanted to cry. It's so beautiful. Ugh. Like, I'm watering up right now. It's just, it's so lovely, and it's perfect. It is so perfect for the series. She did an amazing job. She did an amazing job, and she was so sweet. So that, the intro-outro music is by Emma Ray on um, Instagram. You can follow her at Emma. R-A-E-406 on Instagram, and she made that specifically for me, but she has tons of other compositions. She writes one based on, like, different parts of the story, so she has one called the Mechanic Cinders theme and the Alpha Wolf's theme and things like that based on the characters of the series, so I encourage you to go check it out. Thank you to Emma for making that music. I'm so excited about it. Yes. I feel very special to have people like Emma, who's made the music and Angela Wong who's done such an incredible job with all the logo art she really has worked hard on that oh yeah and I think there's so many people there's so many people who love the series and like this the podcast I feel like makes keeps it keeps the series relevant like it keeps it because we get an update every week we get new art every week we get new new content every week and um, like with your new guests, you get a new perspective every week. So it, I feel like it just puts a new spin on the series and keeps it relevant and keeps it going. And I just feel like there's so much more content that's going to come out of the fandom because of the podcast that you do and the hard work that you put into it. Thank you. I'm I'm really excited to to be the first podcast about this series because I'm kind of surprised there's not one, which is yeah. you know what led me to making it but if you think about it there's like five or six different twilight ones there's like a bajillion different harry potter podcasts out there Mm -hmm. um and so i feel like you know once tlc which is already a really big series but like once it gets its tv show or movie platform i feel like it'll be even bigger of a fandom and in that case you know like i i'm the og (laughs) oh no definitely and i mean Hopefully, hopefully, like, you're still doing winter by the time, <laughs> by the time it comes around. So we can have yes, all the, I'm very excited about, yeah, doing, we can get all the bandwagon people from the TV show. We can. Yeah. And I think too that when you have that, what we get to do by the time like the TV show and movies and stuff come out is we'll have already done most of the books. And mm-hmm. so those will be like really fun bonus episodes that I just randomly get to be like, you know what? I want to do the movie or I want to do season one or something. Oh, um, yeah. And so I think okay. that'll be cool because I mean, if it turns into a TV series, that alone could be a podcast. Like, yeah, uh, 
Maybe it would be like a, a spinoff of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. When, when you're not doing 5 million things. Yeah, because hopefully by the time that happens, I'll have finished my master's degree and gotten my my grown-up job. Um, I did get a very expensive piece of paper in the mail this week, my actual diploma. Clap, clap, clap. Clap, clap, clap. Very exciting. Which Quentin said he's going to buy me a really nice frame to put it in. You know, like when you go to somebody's office and they have their diploma, like, <laughs> framed and hanging on the yes. wall. So I'm getting a nice frame, which oh, I'm really excited be- about. That will be lovely. It will be lovely. So what are you reading this week? I have a, a new one. A new one. I'm going to start Caraval again. Okay. I am reading three books right now. I am reading two. Two of them are arcs that I've received. One of them's already come out. Um, one of them is called Hunted by the Sky. One of them is called Shielded. And then I am listening to the audiobook for uh, Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. And that one is super funny. So so funny. funny. Oh, man. Probably the funniest fairy tale adaptation I've ever read is called Faraggy Style. I'm sorry, what? It's called... (laughs) uh, I need to look up the author's name because I can never say it properly. But it's called Faraggy Style. Fairy tale adaptation. Um, it's by Kazimir, K-A-Z-I-N-E-R. But oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so funny. It's from a male's perspective, so it's kind of vulgar, but in the funniest way, I feel like. Yeah, I'm going to say um, any of our younger listeners probably don't look up this book because uh, <laughs> just looking up, looking it up in that cover. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not appropriate. It's not age appropriate for everybody. It, it, it's definitely not, but I'm definitely adding it to my list right now. <laughs> I, I, it, it's really funny, it's, but it is vulgar. So I, I definitely, you know, caution you. And he wrote another one called Curses, uh, an effed up fairy tale. It's also hilarious. And the audiobooks are really funny. So, I mean, if you like adult content. Oh, yeah. Like, you know. But I would say if I had to tell a parent, I would say, okay, well, like 18 and up, depending on how strict your parents are. Yeah. My parents kind of let me read everything. But as an adult, I'm, you know, I wonder if that was the best choice. <laughs> I mean, but, nothing, nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> so this week we are starting Cress. Yay! I'm so excited. Oh, I'm super excited. It's my favorite book in the series. Uh, one of my favorite characters. I'm so excited to start this chat. I'm like giddy just thinking about all the stuff we get to talk about in the future. <laughs> yes. Speaking of stuff we're going to talk about in the future, I think I announced it on the last episode, but just a reminder, there is a new Patreon perk. So if you are a Patreon member, after your six-month anniversary, you will be my guest on an episode of the podcast. So exciting. I have a guest for almost every episode. and Well, no, for every episode I have a guest. And uh, I only know a finite number of people. So I I think that's a good perk. Definitely. So remember, you can join for only $1 a month. And uh, the first fiscal month is free. So. Yep. And it's definitely worth it. I mean, we have so much fun um, talking with everybody and our, like, the monthly um 
the monthly Zoom call was so fun, and it's fun seeing everybody and hanging out with everybody. Yeah, so I, I think it's definitely worth it. And, and it's literally a dollar, guys. <laughs> I had one girl who joined. Um, it was She asked her mom for a Christmas present, and her mom was like, all right, well, you have a, a limit of, I think, like $25 or something. And she told her mom that she wanted a one-year subscription to this thing. And her mom was like, that's got to be way more. And I was like, no, 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 it's a dollar a month. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's only $12. She, she still has an extra $13 left. <laughs> she <laughs> can go buy her a cupcake or something. <laughs> well, maybe maybe she can buy a, a merch sticker with that. Yeah, stickers, buttons, stickers. T-shirts. My mom ordered a pillow. It's very pretty. I'm told it's soft. I did not order a pillow. Oh, um, you'll have to send me a picture of it. I wanted to see what it looked like. It's really pretty. Uh, it's just a big white pillow with the logo on it. Um, oh, okay. I, I had another Patreon member who wanted to order. Uh, I just designed it, if you want to go get it, a red one, like Scarlett's hoodie. Um, and it's Ooh. red, and it says, don't get glamored. So... I just designed and put that one up if anybody wants to go check it out, which I think it turned out pretty good. I'll go check that out. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for it to get slightly colder so I can wear my red Scarlet hoodie, even though we're done reading Scarlet. Um, it doesn't matter. It still applies because <laughs> Scarlet always has her hoodie. Yeah. So before we start with our chapter, we have fan art. From Not So Great Art on Instagram, July 17th is when it was shared. And so many thank yous for letting me share this because I got the approval at the very last second. And I was like, oh, my God, I have I need this. It's perfect for chapter one. I like have to share this, please. (laughs) So pretty. Yes, it's crest. She's looking crestfallen. But she's. She's sitting over and she's hugging her knees and she's on her satellite and you can see the the moon through her window and all that beautiful hair is just yes it's draped draped around her and draped yes good word for it she looks sad but beautiful tragic I love it so much yes and then also a couple things to point out like she's in the she's in her nightgown she's in her bare feet Mm -hmm. so. If you look at the moon, it's not just the moon. You can see Oh, those the, are the domes. Yeah, you can see the domes from Luna, the capital and everything okay. on there, which is really cool. So I was seeing them the opposite that they were like into the surface, but now I can see that they're they're domes. Oh yeah, they're so domes, cool. so they're above the the surface. Yeah. It looks and there's even like a reflective glare on the window, which is also very accurate, I think. So yeah, I just love it. And you can tell just in her facial expression how lonely and sad she is. And it's perfect, perfect for this first chapter. So mm-hmm. a big thank you for letting us share that. It's probably one of my favorite things about the podcast is doing the fan art for sure. Mm-hmm. So Patreon members voted on the last two chapter titles of Scarlet. Uh, chapter 46 is titled King of My Heart, which I'm really happy about, guys. Thank you for that. I could not have thought of a better song for that one. So I was really hoping it would win. <laughs> <laughs> and chapter 47 is Anxiety by Julie Michaels and Selena Gomez. Nice. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start chapter one, it's a new book. So we're going to read the foreword. Okay. 
In this third book in the Lunar Chronicles, Cinder and Captain Thorn are fugitives on the run, now with Scarlet and Wolf in tow. Together, they're plotting to overthrow Queen Levana and her army. Okay, side note, I'm a little sad Ico wasn't mentioned in this little band of misfits, but whatever. Their best hope lies with Cress, a girl imprisoned on a satellite since childhood, who's only ever had her net screens as company. All that screen time has made Cress an excellent hacker. Unfortunately, she's just received orders from Levana to track down Cinder and her handsome accomplice. When a daring rescue of Cress goes awry, the group is separated. Cress finally has her freedom, but it comes at a high price. Meanwhile, Queen Levana will let nothing prevent her marriage to Emperor Kaito. Oh, just Emperor Kai, my bad. Queen Levana will let nothing prevent her marriage to Emperor Kai. Cress, Scarlet, and Cinder may not have signed up to save the world, but they may be the only hope the world has. Dun, dun, dun! So... While you were reading that, I'm like, oh, I have my paperback. Let me, like, follow along. And they don't match. <gasps> oh, okay. So then read the one. Is it the new paperback, too? The new edition? Yes. I think it's a little bit shorter. And it does have a lot of the same stuff. But it is a little bit different. So it starts, even in the future, there are dam- damsels in distress. Cress, having risked everything to warn Cinder of Queen Lavana's evil plan, has a slight problem. She's been imprisoned on a satellite since childhood and has only ever had her net screens as company. All that screen time has made Cress an excellent hacker. Unfortunately, she just received orders from Lavana to track down Cinder and her handsome accomplice. When a daring rescue of Cress involving Cinder, Captain Thorn, Scarlet, and Wolf goes awry, the group is separated. Cress finally has her freedom, but it comes at a high price. Meanwhile, Queen Lavana will let nothing prevent her marriage to Emperor Kai. Cress, Scarlet, and Cinder may not have signed up to save the world, but they may be the only hope the world has. So it is a little different. It's a little, it's a little different. I'm still sad that neither one of them mentioned Aiko. Yeah, she gets left out so much. But, but, I will say I was super excited to see when uh, Whimsical Illustration did the Ico, the, oh, it was beautiful. Uh, when she did the fan art, I was like, oh, I really hope she does Ico. And then she did Ico. I was like, yay, Ico didn't get left out. Yeah. Okay, so let's get started. Chapter one. We yes. ended Scarlet. We ended Scarlet with everyone on the Rampion, including Ico. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, well, she kind of is the Rampion. But the she's moment, still but... a part of the crew. She is. She is. <laughs> She's the most important part. She is. Cinder made a plan to stop hiding. And Kai was engaged to the predator herself, Queen Lavana. So we ended on... So much going on at the end of that last book. (laughs) So the beginning quote of this book, as I always start with a fairy tale quote, right? Is a quote from Rapunzel. Book one, when she was just a child. The witch locked her away in a tower that had neither doors nor stairs. So we know it's Rapunzel. Yes. So that's exciting. I kind of like that we know a little bit going into these books. We know it's based off of a certain fairy tale. Yeah. So we get to insert certain expectations and then watch as those expectations change while we read. Yeah. Well, and that's where, like, the covers did a pretty good job. The original covers and obviously the new covers, like... 
it's clear what fairy tale we're going into, like without even reading the synopsis. Like you take a look at Cinder and you see a foot. You take a look at Scarlet, you see the red cape. And then the cover for Cress is just that long, the long braid. So like all that fairy tale imagery right there just from looking at a picture. Yeah. And I kind of love that too when you get, when you get covers like that because you have the paperback cover. Yeah. So yours is different than mine. For mine, all I see is like an arm mm-hmm. and um, what looks like a white dress and a mm-hmm. very long braid. Yes. With a red ribbon wrapped around the hair and it's blonde hair. Um, yes. So, but that's very clearly like some representation of Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah. And then mine has her in her satellite looking like her little hacker self with she's got uh at her computer desk the hair is wrapped around her arm and then you have i believe it's earth in the background i would i'm i'm going to say it's earth we can figure that out later <laughs> yeah that's earth it's all swirly and the sun's coming over the side and you can see like yeah yeah this- that's earth in the background I'm sitting, like, where I'm sitting, I don't have the best lighting, so it's, like, having an angle. Like, yeah, I love the detail. I love the detail in this picture, too, because, like, you can see mm-hmm. the cords. You can see her little, like, water bottle on the floor. You can see the pump for her chair to move it up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So great. So great. I love all these um, covers that we get. Mm-hmm. They're gorgeous. So I'm just going to go ahead and start off by reading the first paragraph. (laughs) Okay. Because I think it sets the scene more than the quote does. Yes. Her satellite made one full orbit around planet Earth every 16 hours. It was a prison that came with an endlessly breathtaking view. Vast blue oceans and swirling clouds and sunrises that set half the world on fire. So, first of all, that's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely well, and, beautiful. Okay, so reading that and then flipping back and looking. So do you still have the picture of the cover pulled up? I, oh, of the paperback one? Yeah. If you look, there's the sun coming up over the earth. Oh, like, it's yeah. It's just can, the very beginning of sunrise. And you can see the swirls of it if you, yeah. uh, the swirls of the clouds. She did a great job with that. She, he, yeah. the artist. I believe, I believe, <laughs> she, I believe she. But yeah, no, I just found that interesting. Like, oh, dang, the first paragraph is talking about that. That's cool. I like that, though. I like when they include elements of of something specific from the book oh, yeah. in the cover like that, because I think it makes it more interesting. And if you just Google, like, covers, there's all different covers for different languages of these books and the different countries that they were released in. Um, yes. And so those are really cool to look at as well. It's hard for me to know like which cover is which country, but some of them are, are really magnificent. Which one am I looking at right now? The Russian cover is yes, those ones so beautiful. I love it so much. So those of you who have the the Russian cover, I think you have a beautiful, beautiful cover. That's Absolutely that's the dream when I'm making when I'm making buku bucks is I'm going to collect all of the versions from all of the different countries so I can have all of the pretty covers. 
I would love to have the covers as just like, you know how they have like old movie frames, you know, like somebody will frame old movie posters. I would love to frame book covers and just hang them around my house. Oh no, that would be awesome. Yeah. That's my plan. (laughs) I like that plan. It frees up shelf space. It's true. (laughs) Though I I hope I don't ever have to worry about shelf space. (laughs) Nope. I guess eventually in this house where we're living, I will run. I have my last bookcase right now. If I get, if Quentin gives me another bookcase, I don't know where to put it. I really don't. Because as yeah. you said, when you were here, it looks a lot bigger on the camera than it is. It it's does. Actually, it's it actually so, <laughs> so small. It's a pretty small office. Uh, <laughs> it's got a desk and a couch slash futon in here. So, I mean, once. Once you put that plus four bookshelves, there's not a lot of space in here. (laughs) So we need to get back on track. (laughs) Her satellite orbits the Earth every 16 hours, and she's been imprisoned there. Do you like that? Imprisoned. This isn't her home. This isn't a place that she's chosen for herself. This is her captivity. Yes. And she used to build herself a little fort. So she could look at the, at the blue planet, which I love so much. Yeah. Her and her little fort. And I love that she calls it the blue planet. Yeah. I love that. She's in her fort so she can pretend like she's not trapped. Yes. Which I can't think of anything more terrifying than being on a satellite. I've mentioned before that I am. <laughs> I can't handle being trapped. It's not small spaces. You can put me in a cupboard and I'm fine as long as that cupboard opens. Yeah. But I can't stand being trapped, which is why I hate airplanes. Because, you know, if shit goes down, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I've, I've been with you. I've been with you for the dilemma of elevator or escalator. So I know. I hate elevators. I hate escalators. Escalators is legit. When I was a kid, do you remember bell bottoms and flares? Oh, no. Oh, no. When I was a kid, I had a pair of flares. They almost got caught. It was enough to terrify me. So now I hate escalators. I I hate elevators because like six years ago, I read an article about a woman in China who got left in an elevator over a long weekend while it was broken and nobody answered the phone and she starved to death. I cannot think that sounds horrible. Can you imagine starving, like dehydrating and starvation three days alone in a tiny metal box? Oh God, that's awful. So rest in peace, young woman who died. I'm very sorry. And um, your testament lives on as a warning to me that I hate elevators. I will live. I worked in an office building where my office was on the 12th floor and I never used the elevator. I mean, and you I brought, are my hero. <laughs> like, we had a breakfast club, so I would bring breakfast, like, every third Thursday, I think, was my turn. I'd usually go to Panera, because it was right by my house, Panera Bagels. And so I would carry bagels for 30 people up 12 flights of stairs once a month. And I would go to the gym on my lunch break, so I would walk 12 flights of stairs, like, three or four times a day, five days a week, because that's how badly I didn't want to get in an elevator. <laughs> you are cray, woman, I swear. I have so many people. We went to dinner once. Um, Quentin actually got me to go on an elevator because he took me to Mobile. Welcome back to Elevator Podcast. <laughs> he took me to Mobile, Alabama for the day. 
and we went to this really nice restaurant called the Blue Dolphin, mm-hmm. and it was on the 38th floor. Good. And I immediately went to the staircase. <laughs> I saw the sign for the stairs, and I just went for it. I was like, okay, I'm taking the stairs, and Quentin was like, yeah, I'm not walking up that many flights of stairs. And I was like, well, you take the elevator and I'll just meet you there. And he was like, it's no, no, I, we're not having this conversation. Uh, <laughs> like, let, let me just drug you real quick or was, just just knock me out. He was basically like, just close your eyes the whole time. It'll be over in like 30 seconds. I was like, okay. And I hated it. I hated every second of it. I took the stairs the way down. <laughs> Well, to be fair, going down is a little easier than going up. Going down is way easier than going up. Um, I, I, I'm not going to pretend it's not exhausting to take that many flights of stairs, and I'm definitely not doing it at a run. But I just hate, I hate that feeling of being trapped. Of there, there's no way out if something happens. I hate it so much. Yeah. So I can't imagine, like, at least on an airplane, in theory, you have they a destination. Have, they well, have. You have have a destination so there's an expiration date for how long you'll be on the plane and there's like an escape route type of thing you know like they have the the little slide and your seats a vest or whatever a light vest I don't know how well that stuff works thankfully I haven't had to use it but in a satellite there's just she, nothing yeah there's no options she's never even had real oxygen Mm-mm. and no. did it say how many cubic feet she has I don't think it said, but it can't I, be very big. I don't think it does. I'm looking online. Okay, so the one I'm finding from NASA.gov, if mm-hmm. you guys want to look it up, says that they're about 357 feet, um, cubic feet or whatever. So not very big. No, because like my my apartment is 900 uh, square foot. I'm sorry, three 346 oh. square foot. Yeah, my last house was uh, 800, and it was horrible. So 300 square feet is actually probably about the size of the office we were just discussing. Yeah, so that, oh. Plus a little bit of extra, I guess, but it's not very big. Yeah. And it's not like that's all one giant open space. It's all spread out, because some of that could include the, you know, the entryway where Sybil goes when she docks on and off the bathroom is probably included a hallway or something mm-hmm. all this space for her bed and the screens that she has and I'm waving my arms and no one can see me <laughs> but if you think about it like once you put everything seems big I don't know if anybody's ever been in an empty apartment or an empty house but it seems huge and then the second you put like an l-shaped sofa in the living room it's like man this is a small living room mm-hmm so I can't I just can't imagine it's got it's just got to feel really really small and you know maybe she's probably used to it right because I think we find out later that she's been there for seven years so yeah and we don't know how old she is but we don't seven years is a long time yeah and like we don't know like we see it a part in this chapter that like Sybil comes and like brings her food and whatnot but we can also think that she could be in kind of a uh, the fish grows to the size of this fishbowl so oh her what being a magnificent a, point to make yeah I mean we don't know like does she have some kind of um mal- not malformation but like some kind of 
issue that's come from living in such a small space, not being exposed to sunlight, not being exposed to real oxygen. Like, we have no idea how that could have affected her. But people's sizes are based on, are influenced by so many different things. I have three sisters. Lindsay's 5'11", Samantha and Brittany are both 5'9", my mom is 5'9". Uh, I don't know about my birth dad because I never met him, but yeah. I'm 5'2", if you round up. <laughs> <laughs> but part of that is I was also, you know, two months premature. I mean, I was four pounds when I was born. Ooh. So it's not super surprising that I would be the shortest one or the skittiest one or anything like that. But, yeah, you know, then you meet people like uh, my husband. Yeah, is he's, he's pretty tall. <laughs> He's pretty tall. And his sister's 5'9", five, five, I think. 5'10". Uh-huh. She's almost as tall as my sister, Lindsay, but not quite. Uh-huh. Um, and their parents are, like, the dad's, like, 5'10", the mom's, like, 5'6". Like, they're not super above average, but both their kids ended up tall. Yeah. Or, like, my mom had four children. Uh-huh. And um, I'm the only one that looks like her. I have the same I have the same hair as her. I have the same skin tone as her. I've never been sunburnt before. My mom hasn't either. We just tan really quickly. All three of my sisters sunburn like really easily. They have to wear sunscreen like crazy. So it's just it's, just, it's all very temperamental. And I think yeah. a lot of it can be influenced by small spaces or um, oh, yeah. diet, malnutrition, things like that. Malnutrition. That's the other word I couldn't think of. Yeah, nutrition plays a big part in it. That's, you know, I think that when we adopted Beowulf, he was eight months old, and uh-huh. he weighed, like, 22 pounds. Oh, and my he's God. Met, he's yeah, a big boy. He's that Beowulf. He's not 22 pounds. And you know what? He's perfectly healthy. He's not even, he's all muscle when you touch him. It's just he's got those tiny little legs because he's a beagle lab. So he's all lab with these tiny little beagle legs, poor thing. Yeah, but, but you I mean, t- he's he's got a big body and he's not he's not small. No, he's a big dog. He's about 60 pounds now. So when we adopted him, if you look at pictures of when we adopted him, he looks like scraggly, you know, like it looks like his skin is hanging and you can see that he's not fully uh he's just not fully there and it's really obvious and I think it's obvious a lot in dogs and cats when they're malnourished because you can see certain features. Like sometimes you can see their bones sticking out or their skin sags in a way that it shouldn't. Um, and humans, you know, we're covered by clothing and hair and things like that. So I don't think it's always as easy to tell what someone's body might look like. Billie Eilish is famous for that. She wears, she intentionally wears excessively baggy clothes because she doesn't want to be sexualized. She doesn't want people to know what her body looks like. She wants people to know what her voice sounds like. She's been very adamant about that. And people put a lot of focus on what you look like. Yeah. And that's why, uh, to talk about another artist as well, you have um, Sia, who, I mean, people know what she looks like, obviously. But whenever she goes out or, like, goes to an event, she hides her face. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about what I look like. She doesn't want the attention on her. She wants the attention on her music and what she yeah. creates. And part of that is, is and there's a few interviews online if you want to look it up, but part of that is her record company because when she released that song that kind of launched her career, Chandelier, mm-hmm. she was already 41. Really? 
Yes. And so a lot of the companies that she tried to work with didn't think she would be able to reach some of the mass market that were interested in much younger voices. Wow. I was not aware of that. Yeah, there's a few different interviews about it. She's with much different representative companies now, which is why she shows her appearance more often. Oh, that's um, awesome. Lady Gaga wears outrageous outfits when she's performing. And part of that, she said in an interview, is so that is one, it's a form of self-expression. And two, you won't recognize her if you see her on the street. That That's completely true. Yeah. And so you, you can easily hide. I often wear really baggy clothes because I don't like clothes that are tight. Number one, I don't think they're super comfortable. I just don't. Number two, I have, I'm not like a super skinny person, but for some reason my bones stick out. And so I don't like to wear super tight clothing because I feel like it just emphasizes that. So I wear a lot of baggy clothing. And that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Where were we? We are talking about <laughs> what Cress may or may not look like because she's been um, in the satellite for so long. She's been in the satellite. They do. It seems like she's pretty small, but I guess yeah. we'll have to wait and see. It's Marissa Meyer. So we already get more of a physical description of her in the first mm-hmm. chapter than we did of Cinder or Scarlet. So, yeah. So I got mad tangled vibes because the last sentence of the second paragraph on page uh Three, mm-hmm. said soon she would land and step out onto the real dirt, feel real sunshine, and smell real oxygen. And I thought of that song, Entangled. Yeah. When, where she uh, says, just smell the grass, the dirt, just like I dreamed they'd be. Yeah. The, <sighs> so much. The, yeah. The idea to, like, never walk out on the beach and, like, feel a sand between your toes or, like, just imagining what it would be like to not know what those things are like and obviously comparatively the things that we would take for granted um that she she just has no familiarity with and I think there are certain things that some people probably don't experience I know growing up in in a landlocked area uh my husband had never experienced like an actual ocean until moving down here um, really? Well, we lived in the Midwest. There's no oceans yeah. in the Midwest. You have lakes, and yeah. they're man-made. <laughs> Fair. And then you have people down here I've met in the South who've never experienced snow. Yeah. Which is a real, it's a real bummer, guys. Just drive sometime and experience the snow. It's so beautiful. I know it's cold. It's definitely cold, it's and it's cold. definitely wet. But it's, it's so beautiful. Cold. And anyone who's ever been around snow, correct me if I'm wrong, but how wonderful is fresh snow? Doesn't it smell amazing waking up to fresh snow? And it's so clean and nobody's stepped in it yet. So there's no footprints or anything. And if it's windy, you can see like a little bit of the dust coming off of the snow and rolling around. It's so beautiful. I miss it so much. I never thought I would moving down here. I was like, Oh, no more cold weather, but man, I cannot wait till we move somewhere that has winter again. <laughs> I miss it. I want everyone to message me and tell me a normal, an experience that's normalized in one region of the state or country that you live in that another person might never have experienced, like snow or the ocean or something like that. Message me, tell me what those are, share them to Instagram and Facebook. I want open conversation about that. Oh, yeah. You should post some of the answers. 
I'm definitely going to post some of the answers. When this episode comes out, I'll probably put it on Instagram. And I want to see what everybody says. I'm really curious what other people have experienced that may or may not be that like we consider normal, but other people have never had. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Very curious. So she's never had real oxygen, which as we've talked about, probably led to some malnutrition of some kind. Mm -hmm. Growth stuntedness. She's terrified of Luna. Yep. The sparkly cities and domes of Luna. Her name is Crest. Yes, if the cover didn't make that clear. You never know. (laughs) But I like that. I like the name Crest. It's not a common name. I love unusual names. Oh, yes, definitely. Unusual names that aren't crazy. Yeah. They kind of gets there for me, though. They have a little crazy. I'm talking about like that one celebrity that named her daughter Apple. Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah. What's that about? Oh. You know, or, or I, I, who was it? The girl from Spy Kids. Alexa Pina Vega named her son Ocean. That's cool. Those are well, really I mean, unique names. And I feel like the only, there's only so many people who can pull off unique names. My nephew's name is Odin. That's like a that high name. expectation. Um, I've gotten so used to it, though. I just, it's normalized to me now. So maybe it's just I need to use unique names more often. Yeah. Well, and like, we get away with naming dogs unique things more than yeah. we do, like, people. <laughs> we do. Because like, like, I have, I have Thorn as my dog, who was named before the book series came out. So it's just like a happy coincidence. <laughs> but he is named Thorn because he is a pain in the side. Right. And we have my dog's name is Scamp, which for those of you who don't know, is a scamp yeah. is like a troublemaker. Like, well, it's an adorable troublemaker. But I mean, I literally named my dog Troublemaker. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know ideal well anyway <laughs> yeah well and then scamp rhymes with tramp like lady and the tramp so yes and someone pointed out to me i think a listener pointed out to me this it was me it was, was it me. you that scamp, that the sequel the sequel is scamp's great adventure yeah so their son's name is uh scamp yep so which i did not know so i can't take credit for naming him after that character but Scamp lives up to his name every single day, so I think it was a great choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beowulf, we didn't get to choose his name. I probably would have named him Dopey. That would fit. He's the sweetest dog. He's so sweet, but he's dumb. He ran into the wall today. He was chasing a fly in the house, <laughs> and he ran, and he was looking at the fly and not looking at where he was going, and he legit face first into a wall like a cartoon. Oh, my God. And the look on his face was just like, I don't know what just happened. He just kind of walked it off. But I swear, I I was waiting for the little daisies to, like, circle his head, the little birds or whatever, to start circling around his head going, tweet, 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 tweet. That's so funny. So she once lived on Luna, but they banished her. Ugh. And she used to hide from the moon. This this whole thing makes me really sad. She used to hide and she would braid her hair. And she would literally sing herself to sleep. I love that in your notes, you're like, this poor girl makes me so sad. (laughs) Yes. And then in the next part I wrote, oh, my God, someone give this girl a hug. (laughs) Yes, I was. I was dying. Because I I was so reading this. I just wanted to, like, hug her and stroke her hair and be like, it's okay. I got you. 
do. So anyone I, listening who feels alone, it's okay. I got you. We I'm are sorry. Sending, <laughs> sending you digital hugs. Digital hugs. Keep listening. We've got you. <laughs> she would dream up a mother and father and imagine how they would play make believe with her. Mm. It's so sad. That is. Until the moon would sink behind the protective earth. So she already sees earth as this like protective place, almost like a shield hiding the moon from her. Mm-hmm. Well, then she starts talking about some of her hobbies. Yes. She likes reading, writing songs, and complicated coding. Yeah. And that, that's, <laughs> of course, that, that's nothing like the song from Tangled, where she sings about doing art and then. And candles of, and making yes. pies and. All of the things she does and then doing it all over again. Cause it's and always brush and brush and brush your hair. Y'all, I love that movie so much. I've seen it so many times. I wonder if I should share a picture of the painting I did. Of, uh, I did a canvas painting of Rapunzel that was Tangled inspired. Oh. We'll did you not see, see it when you were here? I have the worst memory. I will, I will share a picture on Instagram. It's a very, it's one of my favorite paintings that I've done. So she's paranoid that if she can see anyone on Luna, then they must be able to see her. So her and Kai would have a lot to talk about. Yes. And I wrote, so that's one spot where I first wrote in my notes on that is the amount of fear that she would have to have just from the lunars being able to see her. Like, that that's her fear. Like, you would think that she would, she's from Luna. Like, you would think she would want to be part of them. But no, them just seeing her frightens her. That, that makes me so sad. That makes me think of Earth, because who else is frightened of lunars is Earthens. True. Yeah, she has this sort of connection with people from Earth more than she does with people from Luna, because she's just as afraid of lunars as they are. Mm-hmm. And the now lunars we... in their artificial sky. Yes. And their artificial air and their artificial everything. Now she pays no attention to Luna, because she has a new nightmare to focus on. Unfortunately. Oh, and it does say here, it does say here that she's been in the satellite for seven years. More than seven years. So that's a, that's a lot of time to be in that fishbowl. That's a long time. And like I said, we don't know her age, but it says since childhood, right? So. Yeah. Cause we know that she's the one that Cinder talked to. Um, we find that out later in the chapter. Yeah. Oh, I was just trying to think of what Cinder said that she looked like. She must have been close to Cinder's age. We know Cinder's 16. Okay. Okay, so then we we, and, admit, we can imagine she's a an older teenager then. Yeah. Um, she had the longest, waviest, most unruly mess of tangled blonde hair imaginable. Mm-hmm. The golden nest around her head was tied in a big knot over one shoulder and cascaded in a jumble of braids and snarls wrapping around one of the girl's arms before descending out of the screen's view. The girl was fidgeting with the ends, fervently winding and unwinding them around her fingers. If it weren't for the mess of hair, she would have been pretty. She had a sweet heart-shaped face, giant sky-blue eyes, and a sprinkle of freckles across her nose. That's on page 318 of Cinder, if anyone wants to go look it up. So that's actually what... That's interesting, because unlike with Cinder and unlike with Scarlet, we actually do get to know what this character looks like 
pretty early yeah. on, like before we even meet her. Like this whole character is an egg hatch. Yeah, definitely. This whole first chapter was basically an egg hatch. Yeah. So thank this is this is connecting a lot of dots that were in Cinder and Scarlet. And for those of you on Patreon, go back through your Scarlet uh, book package and your Cinder book package and see if you can find all the the Easter eggs that led us to this moment in Crest where we meet her, because there was a lot of them that I included on there. So her new nightmare, it's basically a recap of the attack that happened on Earth from the Lunar Special Ops. 14 cities attacked, two-hour murder spree, 16,000 deaths, and the largest massacre in the Third Era. It's horrible. The net was littered with horrors. Victims dead in the streets with shredded abdomens and blood leaking into the gutters. Feral men creatures with gore on their chins and beneath their fingernails and staining the fronts of their shirts. She scrolled through them all with one hand pressed over her mouth. Breathing became increasingly difficult as the truth of it all sank in. This was her fault. Her description of this massacre is very vivid and disturbing, to say the least. Yeah. And with her, like, because she's almost as separated from it as you can be physically, but mentally, she feels like it's because of her and she's the cause of it. And she she feels at the center of it, even though she's physically far away from it. Yes. And that's the egg hatch here. This is how lunars get to Earth. It's Mm -hmm. not that... They have an innate power and ability. It's not Cinder's magnificent chanting. Hide, (laughs) Rampion. Hide. Cress is cloaking them. She uses her magnificent computer technology skills to cloak the ships um, so that they can get to Earth without detection. And so this is this is why she feels responsible for the deaths of all of these earthens because she had been the one that orchestrated their arrival onto earth. Mm-hmm. Like the well-trained lackey of Mr. Sybil. I have issues with that because it again is like what Thorne said to Cinder, you know, way back when you have to think of the, yes, it's understandable why you would put yeah. yourself in the position where you hold the responsibility. Yeah. But number but- one, <laughs> it's it's not you who did it like yeah. you were following orders and you didn't know where those orders would lead to and number two I think it would have happened either way they just would have found someone else or another way to do it yeah no and it, I want to say he he uses the phrase um place the blame where it's deserved or yeah like and it's that's what you have to think like just it's not all your it was not all her fault she has to think of everything all the other dominoes that fell into place that made this happen she was one of them but she's not what instigated it she's not who ordered it she was just a piece there's a lot of factors involved and i think the main one being that she didn't know yeah she didn't know what those soldiers were trained to do. She didn't even necessarily know that they were, that what was on the ships. She was just told, Hey, make sure this ship goes into the planet without being detected. She doesn't even know what's on the ship. Now 
I'm sure there are listeners who are like, you know, well, that makes her explicit, which I understand that implication. And she even says that it was her fault because she hadn't been brave enough to say no. Um, Yeah. But as we've seen in, you know, COVID society alone, saying no, easier said than done. Definitely. And saying no has its consequences. It does. Not, I'm not saying that her life is more valuable than others, but mm-hmm. she's in a position where someone says, hide this ship or you're dead. She doesn't know what the result of hiding that ship is going to be. So, of course, she's like, yeah. okay, I'll just hide this ship. Yeah. And, I mean, there's self, there is that degree of self-preservation. Like, I, I'm afraid for myself. I'm afraid for whatever this is going to do, but if, even if I'm not the one to do it, they're just going to do, they're just going to have somebody else do it. Um, so, and I had a question. So we, we looked that, or so we know that she's been in the satellite for seven years. So with it being an egg hatch that, um, she's the one who's disguising the ship, the ships. Do we think it's only been seven years that the ships have been coming to Earth and been disguised? I don't know. Or do you think we? Do you think it's been longer I than that? I don't know. If, I feel like they said that the plague had been twelve years, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so then, then it would else. have to have been longer than that. So someone was doing it before her, or Earth was really bad at detecting it. Could or could maybe be. the technology wasn't there at the time because I mean, how easy was it to? get away with any kind of crime whatsoever before DNA, which was only like 45 years ago. True. I mean, you literally just had to not be there when the cops showed up and you were fine. Sure. So if you think, you know, where was technology at? Could they really detect everything? Were they paying attention to everything? They probably weren't paying attention. Well, and I think that they said it's been over a hundred years since there's been because they said that Scarlet's grandmother was a part of the only mission to and from Luna in the last, like, hundred years. So yeah. there's not a lot of travel between the two places. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't really know the logistics of it. I, I think there probably was someone before Cress who worked on similar things. And perhaps Cress is um, better, more efficient. Maybe the other person for whatever circumstance died or something or started saying no. And so had, you know, they had to replace them. There's a ton of very sad outcomes. Yeah. Because it's Luna and Sybil is not the delightful person she tries to be. (laughs) So there's a lot of different, you know, scenarios we could imagine, but if nothing else for the last seven years, she's the one who's been responsible for them coming in and out of earth's orbit without detection. Yeah. Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now, back to the show.
So the so, next horror that she's dealing with is that Emperor Kaito of the Eastern Commonwealth will be marrying Queen Lavana of Luna. Yes. And that's she, a horror, horror on so many levels. It's not uncommon to see political alliances that have developed because of marriage. We talked about that. Becca and Ashley and I talked about that in the last episode. But I do think as readers, we don't want it to happen because we still have this idea in our heads that like Kai and Cinder are going to be together, right? So part of us is like, no, he can't marry her. They're destined. That's not how Cinderella Cinderella works. Exactly. Exactly. So then I would also say that her being Empress of the Commonwealth is the other horror that Cress is worried about. Her going to Earth and just being a visitor, you already had like everything she tried to do while she was there. They had the framing of the um, person at dinner with the mirror. Like, oh, just having her went- on Earth, there were protests. No moon queen. Yeah. Just because she yeah. was on the planet, let alone exactly. an empress of one of the major earthen exactly. empires. But that's what I'm saying, like with her, like with her just there as a guest, like the amount of things that she instigated versus her being there in a position of power, like an even further position of power. Yeah. Yeah. The abuse that she would do. I think it's important to play a little bit as bit of devil's advocate, which we'll do later on in the chapter, because later on in the chapter, we're going to try to look at this from the Luna perspective as opposed to the Earthen perspective. But yeah. Press, who is technically a lunar, whether she's banished or not, again, is taking an earthen perspective. She's not happy about this alliance. So there are some journalists who say they should be preparing for war, not a wedding. But one journalist says there's benefits. No more attacks. Understand lunar culture, technological advances, and they would be allies. But I feel like the idea of allies your allies against a common enemy. They don't really have another common enemy at this point. And it's also so. interesting because allies in a, is, is something where, I don't know, they come to your aid when you need yeah, it. Yeah, they, they come to your aid. So I guess with her like offering the antidote, okay. So I guess they could be an ally in that way. Right, like there were countries all over the world that were allies during the the Syrian refugees because they opened their borders. Yeah. Um, I wish more people would have been nice and opened their borders politely, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But that's just me. I'm that type of person. You do you, boo-boo, as my husband likes to say. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine him saying that. Oh, my gosh. He says it all the time, and it cracks me up so much. Because I'll I'll say, like, I want to go do something. What was it that yesterday I really wanted? Oh, I needed to go to the grocery store because everybody listening, do you want to know why I went to the grocery store yesterday? I wanted Pop-Tarts. <laughs> That's right. I put on clothes, shoes, and socks and drove four miles to Walmart because I wanted Pop-Tarts. Does clothes include a bra? Yep. Dang. I wanted Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I, grabbed a couple, I grabbed a couple other things while I was there. We have a list on the fridge. It had There was quite a few things on it. And I'd been putting off going to the store for like a week because I'm lazy and I really wanted Pop-Tarts and we were out. So I was like, well, I guess I have to go to the store because I was already needing to go anyways. And I told my husband I was going and he didn't want to go with me. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go by myself. And he's like, all right, you do you, boo-boo. 
Cress says that Lavana doesn't just want the Eastern Commonwealth. She wants Earth. She's using the Eastern Commonwealth to invade the rest of Earth. And this is only the beginning. She wants all of it. She wants all of it. And she feels suddenly cold, even though the satellite has perfect temperature. I have to say, I don't know if I would like having perfect temperature because I often like to be snuggly. Like I like my heated blanket. So if we were in a perfect temperature, I'd never get to have my heated blankie when I need it. And sometimes you need a heated blanket. You're just in that mood. Yeah, no, I can complete. I can completely agree with that. I have so many couch blankets. It's not even funny. Oh yeah, and you like, can go to my just house. There's love... like two on the couch. There's two on the chair. There's one on the ottoman. There's there's two in my office. My office is only me, you guys. Why do I have two blankets in here? Because maybe like <laughs> one's not long enough, and you need one for the upper half and one for the bottom half. There's one on the couch just to cover it because the boys. It's a black couch, and the boys get they make it look dirty. So I put one blanket on the couch just to protect the couch. But Mm -hmm. a child's voice now reads the screen. She programmed it when she was 10 years old. So she's been there at least since she was 10. Mm -hmm. And insanity-induced boredom. That doesn't sound like fun. No. But it's too chipper for the material it quoted. And it quotes a medical blog from the American Republic of an autopsy of the LSOP. So do you want to go ahead and read this one? This is an egg hatch. This is all of the genetic modifications that the lunars had made to the to create the lunar special ops like Wolf and Rand. So the bones had been reinforced with calcium rich biotissue, while the cartilage in major joints was infused with a saline solution for added flexibility and pliability. Orthodontic implants replaced the canine canine and incisor teeth with those mimicking the teeth of a wolf and we see the same bone reinforcements around the jaw to allow for the strength to crush material such as bone and other tissue remapping of central nervous system and extensive psychological tampering were responsible for the subjects unyielding aggressive and wolf-like tendencies dr edelstein has theorized that an advanced manipulation technique of the brain's bioelectric waves may also have played a role in mute feed. That's quite a few genetic modifications. So they enhanced their bones and cartilage Mm -hmm. so that they would be stronger. They had orthodontic implants. We already kind of knew that one. We've seen wolf's teeth. Yeah, we've seen Wolf and Rian's teeth. Their jaws have been strengthened so that they can crush bones. Mm-hmm. Well, well, now, and a human, a, the strength of the human mouth alone, if we didn't have pain receptors, we could bite through our finger like a carrot. Yes. So the so amount a lot of, of our limitations are psychological. Yes. So then that would explain the psychological tampering. It's the same with like what our bodies are physically capable of a lot. You could break your own thumb really quickly and easily if you if you could just get around that type of psychological influence. Because if you're like me and you are terrified of being trapped, (laughs) then you spend way too much time in rabbit holes learning about how you should get out of uncomfortable situations. And one of them, if your hands are tied behind your back or you're in handcuffs or something, they recommend that you break your thumb because your hand will slide right out. True. 
I don't think I can break my thumb, but we'll see how bad of a panic attack I have first. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd probably be flailing anyway and hit something and break it in just my life. There you go. (laughs) I mean, I break really easily, so if, if nothing else, maybe it wouldn't take very much force. So the central nervous system has been tampered with, psychological tampering, unyielding aggression, wolf-like tendencies, and advanced manipulation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of changes that they've made to these essentially humans that live on the moon. So they're still humans, even if they're like an evolved type of species. Yeah. Well, and that's just from the original, because, I mean, they haven't had the body's very long to be doing these examinations. So that's just, I would say that's probably just their preliminary, their preliminary results. Yeah. Because who knows what else there could be. Yeah. This is off of one LSOP body and one autopsy done in one country. So, I mean, we haven't even had like a clinical trial where we could compare a different um, results in different procedures and different experiments and things like that. Her hair gets caught in the wheel of her chair. So pretty long hair. Very. There's news from Luna. And it's all propaganda about the brave soldiers, the hard fought victory, the crowned sanctioned drivel, which is this is very familiar. Historically Mm -hmm. speaking, media distorts everything in every society. And it's really important to question your surroundings, to conduct research. Don't just take. What you see on the internet as fact. Look it up. Yeah. If you are scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever and you see an outrageous article that you just can't believe, Google it. Look it up. See if there's other articles that contradict. See what the sources are, where that information is coming from. If it's something that was paid for by stuff like that, there's so much, there's so much that goes into this kind of thing and um, especially in the political climate that we're in right now, mm-hmm. question, question everything. Question everything. And I mean, if you go back and anyone who's from Europe will probably understand this more than I think it is in America, at least according to my, my Austrian, my former sister-in-law who's from Austria, there is video footage and newspaper articles and radio documentation of World War II from the German perspective, from Hitler's perspective, I should say. I don't like to blame all of Germany for that regime yeah. because Hitler thought he was making history, which he was, but not in the way he had planned on. And so he recorded everything. And I mean everything. And really? if you there are history books that were created and this is true in Japanese and Japanese culture in Vietnam culture in the British culture here in the United States if you compare a history book of the United States during the revolutionary war to a history book of the United States during the revolutionary war from the British perspective you're going to get two very different stories oh yeah definitely. because in America it's all about taxation without representation and things like that and in you know, the UK, the versions that I've seen in the UK, it's basically like, yeah, so we paid for all these people to go to America and then they ditched us and started a war. And now I guess they have all the land that we sent them there to get for us. So it's like, I've never thought of it that way. If you think of it from the perspective of the British Empire at the time, they paid all this money to send all of these people across this giant ocean to claim this land for the UK. 
to build the and and expand the British Empire. And then their colony attacked them after they sent them over there. And they got France to help them do it. It's different depending on what what you're looking at. If you read headlines today, read headlines right now. Read a headline and then read the story and tell me if that headline matches it. There was a headline circulating probably about a year ago now. There was a young girl in a high school. A boy had tried to take her skirt off. The headline is girl stabs boy with scissors after science class. This is from September 21st, 2018. And it was in Philadelphia. And it literally says, girl stabs boy with scissors after science class. Mm, Corrected headline, which if you're ever in the mood to just question headlines, just Google corrected headlines and you'll see them everywhere. But the corrected headline was, that's an interesting way to say girl fought off sexual attacker. Yeah. Because that's what happened. Oh, yeah. But it's like Chris said, it's propaganda. Mm hmm. So if we look at this from the lunar perspective, as I said a minute ago, we need to do we need to play devil's advocate. It is yeah. a hard fought victory. They are brave soldiers that went down to the blue planet, as Crest calls it. And Lavana's a good leader. I'm not saying she's a good person, yeah. but she's getting her quote planet. She's working hard to get her planet and her people access to all of the resources that are on Earth, which considering they live on the moon, which yeah. we haven't established how they do that yet, but I'm sure we'll get there at some point. But they live on the moon, so it's not like they have coal and trees and stuff like that. So, I I mean, they need Earth's resources. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you could be nice about it. You don't have to be an ass. <laughs> but tyrants don't say please. I know. Chris. It, it, okay, so this is reminding me of the um, song in Pocahontas where he's like, the gold is mine, 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 mine. That's, that's yeah. just what it makes me think of. It's interesting because everybody sees value in things very differently. Yes. Gold, diamonds copper, silver. I would say food goes in there too cuz you have the the cost of gold and silver but then that's not going to feed you. You can't eat that. Well, think of all the really expensive foods that are considered luxuries. Yeah. Like going to a restaurant if you order like a New York steak, it's going to be like 20 to 30 dollars. Yeah. If you say I'll have a side salad, it's 3. So you know, True. I, there are different commodities that people value. I value books. My husband values um, anime, television, gaming, things like that. So that's where our money goes. Just think about where you spend your money versus where someone that you're close to spends your money. Your your partner, your friends, your mom, your sister, your brother, whoever. And compare the two. Mm-hmm. Because that's what a valuable resource is. Now, in terms of, like, survival... You need some, you need food. Yep. You need shelter. So you need something to build shelter out of. They don't, they are on the moon. So they need some way to produce oxygen because they don't have trees. Uh Uh, They need some type of material for clothing, which I guess they don't need clothing, but it'll keep you warmer if you have it. Yeah. And I assume that they have electricity up there. So they need, there are certain things that they need that they don't have. 
on the moon. And so they need to get them from us. And right now, I don't know how they're doing that because they're not allies with the Earth, with anybody on Earth. True. So it makes sense to me that Lavana is like, no, I need, I need to be an empress of something on Earth because I need their resources. It's not, it's not clear to me why she has to do it in such a tyrantal way. Yeah. Maybe she's just a bitch. I mean, we already know that. Right. <laughs> so Crest so stopped following the news when she was 12. We still don't know how how old she is, but if she's been there seven years, Cinder said she's around her age. We know that she programmed this voice at 10 years old. At most, she's 17. I get the feeling she's younger, but at most, she's 17. Yeah, I would say, so she's been there seven years. She's been there more than seven years. Right. So she could have been nine, eight. Yeah, so she would presumably be younger than ten when she, because she probably didn't do it right away because she probably wasn't lonely right off. Right. So she talks to her programmed ten-year-old voice, and it calls her Big Sis, which I think is really cute. It's like her former self talking to her. Yes. Kress shut her eyes against the screen's glare. I understand that Emperor Kai is only trying to stop a war, but he must know this won't stop her majesty. She's going to kill him if he goes through with this, and then where will Earth be? A headache pounded at her temples. I thought for certain Lin Cinder had told him at the ball, but what if I'm wrong? What if he still has no idea of the danger he's in? So this is what Kress is worried about. Marrying Lavana isn't going to stop anything. If anything, it gives her more of an advantageous opportunity to overtake like she wants to. Yep. And it's kind of mind-boggling if you think about a small colony on the moon wanting to overtake the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Of course, if that small colony has the power to make Earthens do things they don't want to do and see things they don't want to see, I guess it's not super hard. Exactly. It's self-preservation on that point. I yes. Mean, I was going to say this is an egg hatch. This is where we find out she's the girl that Cinder was talking to on the decom ship. Mm-hmm. Which we talked about a little bit earlier, but this is this is where that's revealed, is page 7. Or page yeah. 8. Page 8. She has that chat up, but she keeps it hidden on her computer so nobody else can see it. Yep. Even though nobody's there. And she texts it a hundred times a day, but she still hasn't heard anything since the night of the ball, which was... So it's only been like three days, four, three or four days, three or four days Presumably. since she's heard from her. But but I could see why that would still be stressful. I get frustrated if I text someone and I don't hear back in a couple hours, let alone three days. Yeah. Well, and it's not what else she what else does she have to do? <laughs> well, my thing is she has access to the net to Earth net screens or whatever. Right. Doesn't she know that Lynn Cinder was at the ball? No, she knows Lynn. She knows she was at the ball. She knows that she talked to Kai. She doesn't know if she gave him the warning. She doesn't know what would. She knows that an interaction happened between Cinder and Kai. She doesn't know the particulars of that interaction. She just knows that Cinder was there and that Cinder is now on the run. So she doesn't know if Cinder had the chance while she was there to tell Kai what kind of danger he would be in. Gotcha. Exactly. 
But she's constantly patrolling the net for any mention of Cinder at all. Yep. They were linked to a spider alert service that was constantly patrolling the net for any information related to the lunar cyborg who had been taken into custody a week earlier. Lynn Cinder, the cyborg who had escaped from New Beijing prison. The girl who had been Cress's only chance of telling Emperor Kaito the truth about Queen Levana's intentions should he agree to the marriage alliance. The major feed hadn't been updated in 11 hours. In the hysteria of the lunar invasion, Earth seemed to have forgotten about their most wanted fugitive. Big sister? (laughs) I like that it's mentioned that they forgot about Cinder. That something bigger happened and it it shadowed yesterday's headlines, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, this is a huge, a huge deal. It is. Um, So... And it, I mean, it's probably going to come back to at some point, but they have to deal with this first and then they can get back to talking about that because this has huge ramifications for everyone because there's preparations of, are we going to war? Aren't we going to war? There's, okay, the the emperor is getting married. Um, We've got all of these people who are dead. We've got these monsters on the planet, and some have been captured, some have been killed. Where are all the rest? They're in hiding. How many more are there? There's so much going on right now that Cinder's the least of their concern. And if you think about it, we can talk about that in our own society. Now, I like to think that people in the future might be listening to this. So <laughs> if yeah. you're listening two years from now, today is July, July 6, 2020. What we're seeing right now is that the Black Lives Movement is slowly starting to slow down. Now, I encourage you to continue to educate yourself, to resource, to share, to yes. to donate, to sign petitions, to keep that movement going. Because it doesn't need to slow down, but it is. But yes, two weeks ago, that was all you were going to see in your news. Yeah. And I still have I still have the um, black square on my Instagram timeline or on my Instagram feed. And I do not plan on removing that. Like that is a moment in time that we need to remember. And like it needs to go from there. Like we can't just have it be that moment in time and just stay stagnant there. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to we need to. Okay, here was our starting point. And we're moving on from here is what we need to do. We need to have that, that time of, okay, here, here's where we started. And then look at all that we've done since. Um, there's been a lot of things that I feel have started going in the correct direction, but I think a lot of it so far has been very performative. Um, but I hope that is just the beginning. Um, like the Aunt Jemima thing and the Uncle Ben, the Uncle Ben thing, like that feels very performative to me. Um, as opposed to we're asking for real change with the police force and with the government and that those kind of things. So that's really, that's really the goal. I, I mean, Aunt Jemima being a racist symbol and that going away, that's great. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there. Like we have to keep going. We have to keep 
keep voicing it, keep it active so it's not forgotten. Yes, and I think a good example of that is John Legend tweeted something uh, the other day. What did he tweet? Real problems. Realtors don't show black people all the properties they qualify for. Fake problems. Calling the master bedroom the master bedroom. Fix the real problem, realtors. Because there was a push for realtors to change the name of master bedroom to just bedroom. Because it implies. And and like John Legend said, it's pulling attention away from the real issue. Yes. Not that it shouldn't be done, not that it doesn't have a connotation to it or something negative, but that's not what we're asking for. Yeah. That's not the change that needs to be seen. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of, again, I'm calling it performative, like when they put Black Lives Matter on, like they painted Black Lives Matter on the roadway. Ooh, that's great. But the money that they used to paint that could have gone somewhere. Like, it's not, it's actions, not talk. Like, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense in my head. I don't know if I'm, if like what no, I'm saying it, makes sense. <laughs> no, performative is the perfect word for it. And I suppose just in case nobody knows what that means, right? Um, performative. Should I give like a specific definition? And from my understanding, performative means that it's like related to dramatic or artistic performances. So you're doing it for the shock, the awe, the attention that it gets. Um, And I think a lot of these companies are doing it to show that they're supportive. Oh, look, I wouldn't even look, say look that. I think things. I think that a lot of these companies are doing stuff like that for their own self-preservation. I don't think oh, they're definitely. doing it to show their support, or they would have done it a long time ago. Look at how supportive we are. Exactly. That's- they see they see a shift in the climate. They see a shift in our environment. They see a shift in consumers. They want to tap into that. Exactly. And I unfortunately. I was reading an article today about both Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima selling out now because everybody wants to buy those logos thinking that they're going to be priceless someday. I actually had someone tell me that. They're like, yeah, I bought, I don't use Aunt Jemima, but I bought two bottles because I'm going to sell them and make millions. It's exactly. So if anything, the decisions that they've made have only furthered their own financial agenda for monetary value. So. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying that they don't need to be changed because they do. Yeah. The Aunt Jemima ones, especially if you go back and look at some of the advertisements, it's it's pretty jarring. Yeah. But And again, that's um, one of those things that uh, as a white person, that's not something I have ever had to think of. Did mm-hmm. you watch the TikTok, which is what started off that Aunt Jemima thing? I did not, but I read an article um, where it referenced all of the original commercials and advertising for Aunt Jemima, and it's pretty disturbing. Yeah. So, and it's just, that's one of those things that we, we have no, I, I had no idea about until somebody brought it up. And then it's like, oh my God, how did I not see that? And, and this is why it's it important to question things, to question your surroundings, to yep. conduct research. This is why it's important to further educate yourself and expand your horizons because you'll learn something you didn't know. And hopefully what you learn will benefit the people around you. 
exactly. And that's why you also have to, um, like the status quo, just because it's the status quo does not mean it's right. Does not mean it's, um, how things should be like, just because that's how things are done or how things have been done or what you've seen or what you're used to doesn't mean that things can't change for the better. Like yes. always, something, always look for improve ways to improve. Yes. And something you and I talked about a lot when you were down here is I know someone who constantly uses the phrase, that's not how we do it down here. Cause I'll say something and that's their response to me because I'm not from down here. And right now I have to respond with, that's why people are protesting it. That might not be how you do it, but that's why people don't like it because it's not the appropriate way to do things. And we're already on a political tangent that I try not to do too much on the podcast. But um, if you are curious about that kind of stuff, or maybe uh, maybe to you it's a bottle of syrup and so you don't really get what the big deal is, I would look up advertisements. Look up vintage advertisements of Aunt Jemima. One of the commercials is literally... And they tried really hard to hide it. I had to, I had to do some digging to find it. But one of the advertisements from a magazine was literally just because she's not there to bake it for you anymore doesn't mean you can't Whoa. have Aunt Jemima's good cooking. And it was horrible. And it was in papers for like 10 years. Oh my God. And it's that stereotype, that mammy stereotype that they were feeding off of. And so to us, that's shocking and it's inappropriate and it's unacceptable, but that was something society allowed for far too long. And if you, and that applies to more than just racism, look up vintage ads in general. You'll see sexism everywhere. Everywhere you'll see sexism. Buy this because your wife isn't going to clean the house by herself. Or, you know, if she messes up on this spank, there's literally an advertisement where a man is like spanking his wife for burning his clothing. And it's an advertisement for him to buy her an iron. Ugh. So you don't have to beat your wife. Look at vintage ads from the 70s where they had doctors smoking cigarettes and making the best recommendations. And now we know smoking is bad. But, I mean, there's advertisements of Santa Claus smoking a cigarette. Yeah. So it's and that's its own form of propaganda. Advertisements themselves are propaganda in a way that most people, I think, don't really pay attention to or don't notice. But it's all very interesting. It's very implemental. It's very subliminal. Um, and, and that's the exact type of thing that you have to worry about when you're, when you're engrossed in media is that her Earth and Newsfeed yesterday was all about find this fugitive lunar girl. And mm-hmm. today, you know, 12 hours later, less than 12 hours later, it's all about these 16,000 innocent humans that were attacked and murdered. Yeah. And tomorrow it'll be about something else. Yeah. Because a week ago, when we started Cinder a couple weeks ago, it was all about Emperor Kai. That first chapter, Emperor Kai was doing a press conference about uh, Valetimosis disease. Mm-hmm. In the last three weeks okay. of these books, there have been countless headlines. Yeah. The Emperor dying, finding the Valetimosis antidote. The ball. Queen Lavana coming to Earth for the yes. ball. Protesters. So, so many different things. And that, that's another thing with this series. Like, one of the reasons that I love this series is because it's fanciful. It's, you have that fairy tale. You have that 
sci-fi futuristic, but how on point it is with everything that happens. Yes. Like, you can just read it or you can examine it like we are and you see all of those things and all of the things that she's put in it. And I mean, especially right now. And I love that we get to talk about this right now and the climate that we're in right now because we can make those relations and especially for our younger readers. Like, I mean, you, you guys may not understand what we're saying now, but in the back of your mind, you're going to have these thoughts in the back of your mind and maybe that's something that you come back to or the next time you read the series, you're like, oh, yeah, they talked about this in the podcast. Like it's so everything just has come together so well. And thanks to Marissa and everything that she's written. And thanks for you for like the podcast <laughs> and everything that you've brought together. Like I just feel like it's just a culmination of everything and the opportunity to talk about this and relate it to the series that we love. Like I, it makes me very emotional. Just a lot of emotions. We're almost done with this chapter guys. I swear guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a really long episode. It is. And I, and I will say this, I am calling out to everyone listening who is an artist or creative or bored and wants something fun to do over summer. Make me a headline, make me a lunar headline about these attacks or about the antidote or about Queen Lavana coming to Earth or the protest or Emperor Kaito uh, coronation. Or pick, pick, yeah, pick one of the nations and make a headline. Yeah, Ooh, say I, would, the American, I can't wait to see these. Yeah, say this make one for the American Republic and somebody else make one from the perspective of uh, the European Federation and let me compare the two. I'm very curious. I'm not particularly artistic in that type of field. I mean, if it were like a homework assignment, I could probably try. Um, but I'm putting it out to all of you. Make it. Send it to me. I will share it on every platform. I'll talk about it in an episode. I'm hoping somebody does that. That would be super cool. <laughs> to have a newspaper headlines of all this stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we need to get back on track. The headlines that she's talking about <laughs> are about the lunar invasion. But while she's thinking about all of that, she gets a little voice from a call from Little Crest that Mistress will arrive in 22 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's a precisely choreographed dance. I love that it literally goes second by second. Yes. What she does in that second by second. She became a second era ballerina skimming across a shadowy stage as Little Crest counted down the seconds. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's literally an entire page. I just love that it's literally second by second what she does. So what she does is she cleans up. Um, she hides all of her windows and news feeds that Sybil shouldn't see. It kind of reminds me of like a kid trying to get their chores done before mom and dad comes home early. <laughs> yeah, no, I I could empty the dishwasher in 20 seconds. From hearing, <laughs> from hearing the garage door open and my mom pulling in to me getting off the couch from walking, watching my Pokemon and running in the kitchen. And like, I know exactly the kind of ballerina moves that she's talking about. Yes. And, and also <laughs> as an adult, I do it too because like my house is normally pretty clean. Um, but 
if if I've been lazy for a couple of days, which like this weekend I've been very lazy because I've I've had a lot going on this weekend, so I wasn't able to do as much housework as I normally do. So if someone comes over at the last minute, like Quentin comes home from work at four and he's like, oh, my buddy's coming home at is he's going to be here in like 10 minutes. It's like I can get so much done in 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's so much everything here. Put everything over here. Quick vacuum. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I had because um, I'm working from home. Um, they had to bring I had to go pick up my phone from the office. Well, I couldn't get it set up. And like Ryan tried to help me. And like Ryan was the one talking to I.T., and they couldn't get it set up. So the IT person, the IT, the IT department manager was on their way over to my apartment. And me and Ryan are like, oh, my God, like running, <laughs> running around the apartment. Like I'm in the kitchen. He's in the living room. Like we've locked the dogs away. Yep. And we're just like tag, <laughs> tag teaming enough in the five minutes it's going to take him to get from the office to my apartment. And there's definitely been times my husband and I have been like, okay, you do this, I'll do this, ready, go. Um, yep. So definitely, I'm sure everyone's had a different scenario where they've had to tidy up in like two seconds. Um, so she hides all of her earth in dramas, music, and literature. She has one bowl, one spoon, and one glass. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes her bed. She tidies up everything real quick. And then she bows. Which I love. A pleased exaltation culminating in a graceful bow. I love this person. I don't know who Cress is, but I really want to be friends with her. <laughs> like, she seems like the type of girl you would have such a fun sleepover with, right? Yes. And I would get to braid her hair like you do at sleepovers. <laughs> Dude, that would be so fun. So Mistress Sybil's ship has docked. And Cress has her practiced smile ready. There's two ramps, but only one of them is used, and the other one might not even work. How would she know? Yeah. The walls jolt as she docks on the ship. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And he, she has the next part memorized um, of, of the sounds of Sybil coming in and the how long it takes Sybil to get to her, her noise echoing as she, her steps echoing as she walks down the walkway. Um. And then what makes me really sad, page 10, there had been a time when Cress had hoped for warmth and kindness from her, from her mistress, that perhaps Sybil would look at her and say, my dear sweet Crescent, you have earned the trust and respect of Her Majesty the Queen. You are welcome to return with me to Luna and be accepted as one of us. That time had long since passed, but Cress's practiced smile held firm even in the face of Mistress Sybil's coldness. So... This whole thing makes me really sad, but apparently Cress is short for Crescent. That's kind of cute. You are welcome to return to Luna and be accepted as one of us. She's not considered Lunar. Yeah, no, I had, I wrote that out too. I was like, one of us. Um, like she's not, she's not accepted. She's not, um, seen as, yeah, so. She's not human. She's lunar. So she's not even seen as as lunar. Did we say? Um, I don't think. Did it say that she was a shell? I can't remember. Because they said she's a shell and cinder. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we already know. Or it at least says in this chapter. Okay. So page 319 of cinder is where she says she's a shell. Okay. So she is a shell. So we do know that. We do know she's a shell. 
even if we don't remember it because that was two books ago. <laughs> but it's interesting. We've seen segregation on Earth in the Eastern Commonwealth with how cyborgs are treated. And we know that there's infanticide, which is the genocide of infants. Lavana admitted it in the last book. So yeah. we know that this 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 tyrant is what she's capable of. So now we yeah. have to wonder why is Crest still alive if she's a shell and they're supposed to be murdered at birth? Yeah. The shells have some sort of like, since they don't have bioelectricity, controlled bioelectricity, are they somehow like tech geniuses or something like that? Cause I mean, they've apparently put her to work. Like, did they know that she could do something like this? Like what, what caused them to keep her around? Right. What made her valuable? Exactly. Yeah. So Sybil shows up. She's delightful. She brought food, water, and a medical kit for some reason. She really pisses me off. So Crest says, good day, mistress. And Sybil is like, well, if you, it's only a good day if you found the cyborg. Oh, I'm sorry. Is she supposed to be like, bad day, mistress? Horrible day? Horrible, terrible, no good, awfully bad day, mistress? Fuck you, Sybil. <laughs> God, I love you. Because you, like, that's pretty much verbatim to your notes. I was so mad reading that. I was like, okay, but what is she supposed to say to you? Like, how is she supposed to greet you if she's not allowed to say good day? Unless you think it's a good day, is she supposed to be like, hey, what's up? Bad day, girl. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that. I have have a note for later, for later (laughs) in the chapter that I want to discuss further. Okay. I wonder if we should start saying that, though, like when somebody like instead of saying have a good one, you, like when people leave, you're just like, have a bad one. Because like you just know. <laughs> OK, so I'm, I'm about to ruin this for you, because any time I hear somebody say have a good one, my brain does have a good one. What? And oh, I can't like I've told a couple people that and then they like hate me afterward because they're like, that's all they they <laughs> think of. have a good one so I've just ruined that for all of you yeah well thank you for that um (laughs) she's just a bitch she frustrates me so she so basically she's like okay Crest tell me what's up and Crest tells her all this stuff and Sybil goes I already knew that okay then why do you ask well she did say she did say that um wait no that we were pleased with the engagement so that's the one thing that that could it could be a good day for. Yeah, she's such a bitch. <sighs> Ugh. You shouldn't be wasting your time reading news and gossip, girl. What else is she supposed to do? Ugh, I do not like Sybil. I want to slap a girl. <laughs> I do not condone violence. This girl, this bitch is just frustrating. All right. We will be satisfied once Earth is under lunar control. Until then, there is work to be done, and you should not be wasting your time reading news and gossip. Yes. Ugh. I don't see you doing anything, Sybil. Nope. You're not doing any research. Yes, so she certainly hoped that uh, Cress has found something. But she hasn't. Nope. Nope. And Cress hid all the evidence of her betrayal. Yes. But she had a, a momentary, like, freak out when um, Sybil, like, reached for her computer. Yeah. You can see behind the computer. 
Yes. Sybil reached past it to a screen displaying a vid of Emperor Kaito speaking in front of the Eastern Commonwealth flag. With a touch, the screen cleared, revealing the metal wall and a tangle of heating tubes behind it. So you can see through the cl- the screen. It's like a like a holograph. Yeah. So I mean, it could either be. I would assume it's probably some type of type of touch screen too. Mm-hmm. Well, it says with a touch, so yeah. She said she does. She did find something. Lynn Cinder was spotted in Paris. I'm well aware of that. Ugh, see, she's just snarky. Well, what are, what so she went to Paris. She killed a Thama and some loose and some useless operatives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote in my notes. I forgot I wrote this. I wrote in my notes. Whoa, Sybil, get a hold of yourself. You seem overcome with grief. Insert eye roll. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay, so here's an egg hatch. Cress found out about the power cell sold in France, despite the fact that it wasn't actually paid for. Hey, hey. Thorne gave him the watch. (laughs) Yes, in one of my favorite scenes, because he's like, yeah, that's not how you pay for things. (laughs) But the power cell, which she knows what a power cell is, is compatible with the Rampion, even though there is no notary of payment. It was either stolen or glamoured. Sybil likes to keep up the pretense that Cinder is a shell and therefore cannot glamour. So, unlike Press, who is a true shell, Lynn Cinder had the lunar gift. It may have been buried or hidden somehow, but it had certainly made itself known at the Commonwealth Annual Ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also wrote in my notes where she says she starts explaining what a power cell is, and Sybil goes, "I know what it is." And I wrote in my notes, "Touchy, touchy." <laughs> <laughs> it's only evidence that she's making repairs to her ship, which will make it more difficult to track her down. Well, it's something you ask for information. Mm-hmm. Sybil says, "I'm not interested in your excuses." All these years, I've persuaded Her Majesty to let you live under the premise that you had something valuable to offer, something even more valuable than your blood. Was I wrong to protect you, Crescent? Why is her blood valuable? I don't know. With the paragraph that Bethany just read, I want to talk to you guys about um, gaslighting. So that is what essentially Sybil is doing to Cress. So I pulled up the definition of gaslighting. I was just about to do that. (laughs) I already have it. Yeah. Good. Okay. So gas, gaslight or gaslighting is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. I would add to that that it makes them question more than their sanity. It makes them question like their memory, their perception, their judgment, self-esteem. Yeah, in Cress's case, it makes her question her right to live, the right to yeah. her existence. The right to so, her existence, very well said. Yeah, so it it's even more than just her sanity. But there's, I mean, we've already seen in this one chapter, we've already seen her talk about all of these things that she's already done for the queen, all of the things that things that she's done for Luna and for and the requests that Sybil has made of her in just this paragraph, but this one failure is proof that she know she she doesn't get to live. Like, and Cress even Cress's inner monologue talks about that. Is that 
Mistress only cared about her failures. Yep. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about her achievements. She doesn't care about any of that. It's no. just how she's failed, how she's let the country down, and how she um, is essentially useless and worthless. And yeah. we, we obviously know that's not true. And if somebody is telling you that you're worth, you're worthless and you're useless, or if somebody's telling you those kinds of things, just know that is not true. And this is maybe something that you should be looking into. Like everything that we talked about earlier, this is something that's really important and a thing that I love that Marissa like explores. And it's, it's, it's something that we saw a lot of with Cinder and the way that Audrey and Pearl treated her as well. And I will say that the most common form of gaslighting that I think teenagers are going to experience, especially girls, is yes. bullying. Yes. And just the very concept of peer pressure. Yep. And the internet is full of that crap. Just ignore it. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. I've gotten bad reviews before that make me want to curl into a ball, cry, and never record another episode. But, but we all know that that's not true. I mean, your listeners <laughs> know that that's not true. Somebody likes um, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have you have patrons. Like, we got your back. We love you. And we know that this podcast's worth it. And you girls and you boys need to know that you're worth it. Um, like, don't let anybody tell you that you're useless, that you're worthless. Don't ever let. You're not. You're not. Um, Eleanor I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. I will end this. I will end the soapbox with a very beautiful quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Beautiful. We accept the love that we think we deserve, and it's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. I've definitely been there. But we do have to try to ignore that kind of negativity and just remind ourselves that we are valuable. As Aiko says, valuable. Yes. So there's a couple egg hatches here on page 12 and 13. I'm just going to read it. This is everything that Cress has done for Queen Lavana and the, the country of Luna. She bit her lip withholding a reminder of all she'd done for Her Majesty during her imprisonment, designing countless spy systems for keeping watch on Earth's leaders, hacking the communication links between diplomats. So she is buying on you, Kai. You're not paranoid. Jamming satellite signals to allow the Queen's soldiers to invade Earth undetected, so that now the blood of 16,000 Earthens was on her hands. It made no difference. Sybil cared only about Cress's failures, and not finding Lynn Cinder was Cress's biggest failure to date. Mm-hmm. I would say that's another form of gaslighting. If somebody only oh, talks yeah. to you about everything bad that you've ever done, they're not worth talking to. No, definitely not. So, so Sybil says that she'd be very displeased if you don't find that girl soon. She pets her on the cheek. Ugh. It gives it felt, me the heat, babies. It felt almost like a mother's approval, but not quite. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Retrieving a hypodermic needle from the mechanical kit, she turns to Cress and says, your arm. That's it, kids. Two hours later. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, my longest episode was over three hours, so it's fine. Um, (laughs) So what was your chapter title for this week? My chapter title was Daydreaming by Jack and Jack. Um, Because of all of the um, mentions it has in here of, like, her her building the fort and all of the um, things that it's talked about of her where she's had to imagine things that her life is better or imagining what dirt smells like and what real oxygen is like. Right. All of these things that she's had to imagine she's been she's been daydreaming about. I like the whole concept of daydreaming because that's basically what she does with all her time. Mm hmm. I came up with two. One is called Astronaut by Simple Plan. Some of the lyrics are sending SOS from this tiny box, and I lost all signal when I left off. Now I'm stuck here, and the world forgot. Oh. So I like that one because I think it hits on the part of her being trapped in a box in the middle of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, The other one I liked is The Lonely by Christina Perry. And I could read all the lyrics, but... The one I'm going to read to you, I think, is the most significant. Dancing slowly in an empty room. Can the lonely take a place of you? I sing myself a quiet lullaby. Oh. So I think that might have been written for this chapter, and she just didn't know it. Dude, that hurt. Yeah. That legitimately hurt when you said that just now. So that's those are the two song titles I picked. I spend so much time on these song titles. I'll spend like an hour going through, going through different (laughs) lyrics, trying to find like the perfect song that fits the situation. What was your quote for this chapter? My quote for this chapter. She still did not like to look at the cities of Luna. She she harbored a secret paranoia that if she could see the Lunars, surely they could look up beyond their artificial skies and see her. I just feel like that encompasses her fear of the Lunars. Like, she doesn't even want to be seen by them. She has such innate fear of them and what they represent. And, like, uh, it just, it breaks my heart that that's her fear. Yeah, and... Just the idea that that scares her so much that she hides. Yeah. She's in a satellite where virtually no one knows she exists, let alone could reach her or get to her. And she's still terrified. She's still terrified that somebody might see her. Just to be seen. Not interact. Yep. Not come into close contact with. Just to see her. To know that she's visible and in existence. Yep. That's heartbreaking. It is. Incredibly. See, this is what I'm talking about. I just want to give her a hug and maybe make her a cup of hot chocolate. Oh, that would um, be nice. So my quote was from page four as well. It was a prison that came with an endlessly breathtaking view. Vast blue oh. oceans and swirling clouds and sunrises that set half the world on fire. Oh. I like the idea of Earth in that nice way. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) because Earth itself is a beautiful, 
phenomenon of an existence. It's magnificent. And I sometimes think, well, no, not sometimes. Humans don't do a good job of taking care of the Earth. No. No, not at all. There are definitely people on the planet who care about the Earth and the environment and do what they can to make changes. But the overall human population for the long for the existence that it's had on this earth has has not done a very good job of taking care of it. No. And it also doesn't help when the leaders don't believe that there's a problem. Again, I agree. Yeah. So, not not to call anybody out there, but you know. And it's temperamental, you know, I'm not a saint by any means. I'm not living in a tent in the middle of nowhere. I use electricity. I have a car, you know. I just yeah. mean that I like the idea of looking at Earth in terms of Earth. Not oh, yeah. Earth, the human existence on Earth or our experience of Earth, but just Earth with mm-hmm. its vast blue oceans and its swirling clouds and its sunrises that set half the world on fire. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. So this week... There were four Easter eggs, and Patreon members helped me decide. We will be counting the the word hair in this book. (laughs) The word hair appeared six times in this chapter. So So many times. So many times. Patreon members will get to vote on what chapter title we choose. Next time, we are going to cover chapters two and three. Follow and rate, review, and subscribe on Instagram. Check out Patreon if you want to be a guest on the podcast. Join Patreon. And remember, the first fiscal month of Patreon is free. Yes. You can just try it out. Yes. It's definitely worth it, guys. I promise. We just finished a book. So everybody on Patreon just got their Scarlet package. Yeah. And got the Scarlet playlist I made on Spotify, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Everybody join Patreon. (laughs) Awesome. And thank you for coming. Yes, you're welcome. I enjoyed myself. Good. So stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Bye. Bye. The chapters read for you today are from Crest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Morgan Clark. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pava, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.